Welcome to the Binge Breakers Podcast. I'm Jacqueline. I am here to teach you how I overcame bulimia and my binge eating disorder, and how you can too. Through simple steps of mind management, repairing your relationship with yourself, understanding your habits, and intuitive eating. Disclaimer. This recording is not intended to be utilized as medical advice or a medical diagnosis. If you think you're in need of medical attention or treatment, please seek it immediately. This recording will also contain sensitive subjects such as binging and purging, weight and depression. Please listen at your own discretion and do what you think is best for you. Hey everyone, welcome to the podcast. Today I have a special guest on. Her name is Becca King and she is formerly known on Instagram as the ADHD nutritionist. I'm really excited to bring this episode to you for a few reasons. But first, I just want to let you know I'm sick. On the episode I was sick. I keep sniffling. I keep having to like, it's just this I don't I don't think it's COVID, but it's definitely a lot of congestion and stuff like that. Luckily, I work from home, so I'm just going to stay quarantined until I'm better. But if I look bad, if I sound bad, that is why on the interview, I sniffle a lot. So, but I did it. And then Becca, she was so nice. I was supposed to record a podcast for this Friday instead of that interview and put out later. But she's like, when is it going to be out? And I was like, do you mind if I just release it this week? I don't think I can record another episode. So she was kind enough to be like, oh yeah, that's fine. So anyway, it's good. And yeah, it's releasing. But anyway, I'm sick on that um, today and stuff like that. So bear with me here. Um, but Becca is really cool because she talks a lot on Instagram about ADHD and binge eating. And that's something that I've been doing a lot more research on myself over the past year. Um, Partly because a lot of my clients struggle with it. Several of my clients have gone on to get diagnosed with ADHD, which offers such a huge um, relief to them. They understand their symptoms and why they maybe seek binge eating as a form of stimulation or a form of making themselves feel better that is just a little bit outside of simply emotional eating and um, not eating enough. But Becca really clarifies greatly what connections there are between binge eating, eating disorders, and ADHD that people aren't seeing. We always think that ADHD is just something that's diagnosed to little boys, you know, when they're first growing up, and it's not a girl thing. I used to think that growing up, that... <clears throat> ADHD is only for men. It's only for young men. And that's when they get diagnosed. And so I always dismiss the fact of any anyone that maybe was suffering with or struggling with ADHD or neurodivergence in general. And um, yeah, I just, I just had that block in my mind. So one of the reasons was I know a lot of my clients struggle with it, but I also tend to find a lot of similarities between my behavior, a lot of things that I struggled with growing up and ADHD. And since I always thought it was just a men thing, a male thing, um, due to my ignorance and what I was told growing up, <clears throat> I never considered it for myself. And I'm not saying I have ADHD. I really don't know. I still need to do more research on it for myself, probably get diagnosed, that sort of stuff, if that is what I, the route I want to go down. But I relate a lot. And it's helpful because sometimes the advice that you get for binge eating um, for a neurotypical person is not the advice you should be giving to someone who's struggling with ADHD. So I think this episode is going to be helpful and hopefully make a lot of you guys feel really seen. And Becca was just so friendly, so informative. So really honored to have her on the show. Lastly, 
um, December 19th through the 25th, we are going to do another holiday support week inside the Private Binge Breakers uh, Bulimia Breakup Program. That, for those of you guys that don't know, is my group co- coaching program where we meet weekly. You also and get group coaching on anything you're struggling with when it comes to bulimia and binge eating. We also um, have a whole program available to you that will help you understand how to stop binge eating, how to eat intuitively, even if you struggle with binging and overeating, and how to move on with your life. And there's a private podcast. There's lots of cool stuff in there. But last month, I did a holiday support week, which was seven days of videos, live videos, where we talked about specific concepts within the holidays that people struggle with, with eating disorders. I did this partly because I just wanted to make sure my members didn't feel so alone. They felt supported with specific issues they're struggling with. And just to give them those touches each day to be like, hey, I'm still here if you need help, that sort of stuff. But also just informative things. Like you've talked about boundaries with family and how to make them and how not to feel bad if you let them go, or how to say no to people, how to eat normally, even though there's food everywhere, how to deal with isolation and loneliness during the holidays. How What do you do if you're not happy during the holidays? All of that stuff. So it was a really cool week. And one of my members, a um, few of them are like, thank you so much. This has been so helpful. I'm really excited for next next month. So I decided to do it again. We're doing it December 19th through the 25th. And this one, <clears throat> we're still going to talk about everything we talked about last time, but we're also going to add in um, something that's going to help you clarify what you should be doing in bulimia recovery. Uh, the first day, I'm going to be giving you a roadmap that tells you everything you need to do um, and during each phase of bulimia recovery. And that is because I see so many people, they have all information, but they're like, I don't know where to start. I'm so confused. And because they stay in that confusion, they don't know what to do. And then they don't even start. So I'm going to first video or the first day of holiday support week is going to be totally dedicated to that. The next, we're going to talk about how to actually get started and So beginning a roadmap, you'll be talking about a lot of different things with eating disorders and how to basically recover even during the holidays. Because I see a lot of people and they think, well, because I am struggling with eating disorders and the holidays are so complicated, I'm not going to even try. That is not what you should do. You should keep on trying even during the holidays. And that's why I put the slogan for this is recover even during the holidays. You don't have to wait for the New Year's. I wouldn't recommend waiting for the New Year's. So that is, if you want to check that out, all you need to do is go to bingebreakers.com and check out the Bulimia Breakup Program. If you join the program, you will get access to Holiday Support Week. Make sure that when you join, you fill out your payment info, you hit subscribe so that you get the emails sent to you every week. There'll be bonus emails and stuff like that. Make sure you join the Facebook group so you get access to uh, talking with other people and the Facebook Lives in there. And then also make sure you check your email when you sign up because you'll get emails about how to join the program and our Facebook group and access to the private podcast and other goodies. But yeah, if you're struggling, don't do this alone. The membership's also really affordable. It's $60 per month. It is, I make it that way on purpose. So if you're struggling, you feel like you can't afford um, tons of care right now, the group coaching program is meant for you and it's very helpful. You'll find a lot of people in there that are struggling with the same thing as you, but finding success. So yeah, anyway, enjoy this interview. I'm going to go, uh, I I made myself some hot cocoa, which probably wasn't the best idea while I'm sick, but I don't know. It sounded comforting. So I'm going to drink that and do some editing. All right. I'll talk to you guys later. Bye. (laughs) So Becca, you were just saying most of your clients struggle with binge eating. Yes. Most of them struggle with binge eating. And so that is kind of the focus of the program is like learning how to eat intuitively as an ADHD -er and not obviously not binge eat. So (laughs) yeah. Well, and I didn't, you know, I'm looking into ADHD for 
my clients, but also myself. Like I sometimes feel like I can relate a lot to some of the symptoms you notice, but you're not, I'm never quite sure. Uh, But anyway, I didn't realize how much of a correlation there was between ADHD and eating disorders and stuff like that. So what do you, what's the connection? What's the biggest connection you find? I think there's, I think there's two things. One is like eating for stimulation or for dopamine. So um, it's very similar to like emotional eating if you're maybe more neurotypical, um, but more for just like out of boredom or like, so my clients will describe like needing something to do with their hands or mouth and mm-hmm. um, food is obviously such a sensory experience. And so that, and then carbs, especially also give our brains dopamine. So it's just one of those things that almost can be a way of self-medicating, especially for my clients. They might be, um, if they get diagnosed later in life, they're like, I can never understand why I wouldn't be hungry, but I always had this drive to eat. Like I wasn't physically hungry though. And like, I could constantly, especially if they're like, you know, a good example would be like people who are in school and they're like, I need to snack on something crunchy, like constantly while I'm studying or in class to like be able to pay attention. Mm. Um, kind of be a tool to help with regulating things, just like a kid who like bounces their foot in their chair that has ADHD kind of similar to that. So I think that piece, and sometimes that feels like a missing piece to a lot of my clients where they're like, I don't always connect with all the like descriptions of eating disorders, like binge eating. They're like, sometimes it doesn't connect with me. And then they're like, oh, but this does make sense. Um, Mm -hmm. So that piece. And then I think some of the like executive functioning or dysfunction that um, comes into play too with like planning, um, being able to like plan your meals to be able to go grocery shopping and like not forget ingredients and to be able to like follow the steps in a recipe. Um, I think some of those things can make eating regularly more challenging. So a lot of my clients kind of get stuck in that Pinterest strict cycle just because Mm -hmm. having so many times a day gets overwhelming or they're like, I'm just, I have all these other things I have to do. And like, I don't want to stop and have to eat because it's going to you know, distract me or doesn't feel productive, even though it is very productive to eat. So yeah, yeah, I, I didn't think about I was researching ADHD and stuff like that. I didn't realize how common it was to just forget to eat. And yeah. like, I've talked to people before, but I just I didn't remember and you get focused on stuff or things happen. And then and then you only notice you're when you're hungry when you're completely ravenous and want to eat everything, which is when the binge yes. eating comes into play. Yeah, yeah. And so like, even for my clients who aren't on a stimulant that like might suppress their appetite, a lot of ADHDers just struggle with recognizing body cues. So even like needing to go to the bathroom is another example of that can be like a sign in young girls where like, and I kind of remember doing this as a kid where like, I would be like, my mom be like, you need to go to the bathroom. And you're like doing the potty dance and you're like, no, I don't. And like, <laughs> mom might That's been, funny. you know adult female clients will be like, yeah, I will wait until I have to like run to the bathroom because I'm like, I need to finish this thing. And the same thing will like kind of happen with hunger where it's like, let me finish this email and then I'll go eat. And then you just completely forget that that's what you were going to do after you finish the task. And then you just keep going until again, you hit that point of being ravenous. So it can be hard. I think that's one of the more challenging pieces of intuitive eating sometimes for 
folks who mm-hmm. have ADHD, where it's like, you know, the idea of eating when you're hungry might sound easy on paper, but if you don't have, you know, you don't experience hunger cues in the same way that like neurotypical people do, that concept can be really hard. Yeah. Well, and what would you, I have so many questions for you. Usually I normally start out asking people, what's your story? I'm just going to save that for later on because we're on this conversation. (laughs) I do care though, I promise. Um, But uh, when it comes to like people that will forget to eat, they'll keep pushing it until it's completely urgent. How do you get around that? If you literally are forgetting all the time. I usually recommend like kind of that three to four hour rule of doing that and then exploring tools to help you remember and it can feel almost like not intuitive almost mm-hmm. <laughs> to be like, Hey, I might need to set an alarm or block off time on my calendar for meals or snacks, especially like I was talking to someone yesterday and they were like, yeah, I don't literally don't plan my meals into like my, you know, I work from home. And so I, you know, write out my schedule for the day and eating isn't even on the schedule, but I still have to do it, you know? Mm-hmm. So I think that can help visual cues can be really helpful too. So like out of sight, out of mind is a lot really big for ADHDers. So like I will encourage my clients is like to have snacks somewhere visible or in like a desk drawer or something to kind of help like just kind of visually cue them like, oh yeah, I need to eat a snack. I haven't touched food in a while. Mm-hmm. Um, and over time, like you start as you start getting in that rhythm of eating more regularly it starts to become easier to remember because you start to notice some of those small like just feeling off if you're don't experience like a growling stomach like for me I'm like oh my energy's dipping or like I'm starting to feel you know my concentration is changing or if I notice I get angry at technology that's usually like (laughs) for me yeah (laughs) the internet speed hasn't changed Becca we should probably go grab a snack yeah whenever I get I get really mad at inanimate objects if like I'm trying to do something and it's like getting stuck somewhere it's the worst and I know when I'm (laughs) extra angry about it like the door handle I'm like okay either I need sleep or food or I just need to walk away (laughs) something's going on (laughs) because the door handle has not changed it's always been that way yeah I think other things that I'll recommend with clients too is like pairing eating with activities ideally not distracting Mm -hmm. ones but like um, if you take medication, like in the morning pairing, if you take like, especially if you take morning and afternoon meds, like that's when I kind of pair my meals with my meds because my appetite's the best. And then I know that I'm getting those meals in and it just kind of checks both of those boxes. So it could be like drinking water. If you mm-hmm. have kids or pets that you have to feed too, like those sorts of activities, kind of pairing them together. So it's like, when I do this, I do this. And then, you know, that you're kind of getting that done as well yeah I find it easier even for people that are neurotypical like just pairing a habit with another habit too and there's logical reasons why you'd pair that with medication but if you're already doing something it's so much easier to just tack it on to something you're already going to show up for it anyway and then putting especially putting something in your mouth it's like might as well just add food to that mix that makes a lot of sense (laughs) (laughs) Mm -hmm. exactly or yeah drinking water if you struggle with that too which can be something some of my clients will struggle with is like, I'll forget that I need to drink, drink water. And then, you know, it's halfway through the day and I haven't had anything to drink. Yeah. Well, tell me a bit about, um, I'm just going to ask you like a ton of questions about it, but you said it comes down to sometimes executive functioning. And so is there like impaired executive functioning with ADHD? What, what do you mean by that? Yeah. It's, 
um, one of the, like, I guess some of, some people will describe ADHD as executive dysfunction, even though there are other, um, there are other, I guess, um, types of like neurodivergence that can have, um, executive dysfunction as well, but it just, a lot of times it can be like, Hey, I might have this plan, but I don't know how to get started with it. Or I don't know how to follow through all of the steps or get organized or finish things or meet deadlines. So some of that stuff, I think can just feed into kind of that binge restrict cycle with things too. Yeah. Well, but if someone's struggling with ADHD and they are struggling with binging, it sounds like you do focus a lot on making sure they're having consistent meals, eating enough, but there, is there anything else that you do when it comes to like, let's say they've done all those things, but they're still having urges to binge. Do you then dive into how to make decisions in that moment or no? Yeah. And I think, I think understanding where that urge is coming from usually is kind of like the next step where I'm like, okay, if you're still eating, like if you you are actually eating enough and eating consistently and there's still that urge or desire like to to kind of think about like any unmet needs that you have um and usually with a lot of ADHDers there's usually some other stuff going on like I'm not getting enough sleep or like Mm -hmm. I am you know so into my work that I'm not taking care of myself um other things like that um or if there's other emotions or things that are going on that are you know contributing to that or even just um if there's any subtle restrictions or things like that that are there and then kind of addressing that piece but usually it's like let's focus on just eating consistently and eating enough for (laughs) first because I think a lot of times for the majority of my clients that's usually a harder piece of the puzzle is like getting in meals and snacks you know regularly Mm -hmm. throughout the day yeah the um so you guys listening I'm sick so I do apologize but um when it comes to those other needs not being met first of all I'm glad that you said in the beginning there's that need for stimulation and so many people they connect with the emotional eating piece of it but then there are a lot of people where it's like nothing's happening it wasn't like it was a bad day and I'm still doing that and I I had when I was binging I had a lot of emotional needs unmet. That's for sure. It's like yeah. no doubt about it. But sometimes I would just binge because it was like a habitual thing. And I felt like I needed something. I was just doing nothing. And it just yeah. seemed like it was the thing that calmed me down and helped me get through the day. So yeah. I can relate strongly to that. And I know a lot of people do too. But yeah. with the binging and not meeting other needs, uh, I was just talking to with a client about this, about how like she's just not fulfilling any, like she feels completely unhappy. And so binging is like the only thing that yeah. serves that purpose for her it's crazy how many people just there's these huge gaps in their lives and they're not seeing it and then being like why am I binging it's like well there may be this yeah. thing going on yeah I, yeah I've had clients realize like I need to find a new job because I'm so miserable and like my relationship with food is not going to change with the job that I have that I don't like that isn't fulfilling to me and like mm-hmm. you know or I'm like in this one client I had she was like commuting almost two hours a day and then working oh the whole gosh. day and like I was like I would struggle with feeding myself too if if <laughs> I was in the same boat as you and by the end of the time we were working together she's like yeah I think I have to find a new a new job or a new career path because this isn't it for me you know mm-hmm. I think it can be really hard to come to terms with but I think sometimes there are 
these, yeah, these big spaces in our lives that we're just like, we don't realize that like, because it's not necessarily connected to food that we don't always connect to that. Like, oh, that's why I am coming back to food because especially I think too, with the pandemic, like it, food became a bigger coping tool for people because all of our other coping tools we might not have had access to. So it became something that was a little bit more accessible than other things to rely on. Yeah. I feel like people that struggle with food too, uh, their first coping tool tool of some sort seems to be food, especially when they're a young child. Like it's the first thing yeah. you have access to that can kind of buffer those emotions and feelings, especially if you're struggling with something like ADHD, which is even more significant. But yeah. food was definitely something I reached to as a child as well. And it just yeah. grows from there. And then during COVID, everything goes away. It's like, what what else do I have? Food, yes. alcohol, <laughs> those things. Yeah. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yes, definitely. With um stimulation and ADHD, what do you recommend for that? People are like, I'm I'm binging for the stimulation. Yeah. So just like emotional eating, like I try not to say like you should never eat <laughs> for mm-hmm. stimulation because obviously it's a tool that can, you know, give you the stimulation that you're looking for. Um, but I also like to discuss other tools you can bring into that toolkit. So like Anything that provides a sensory experience can be stimulating. Anything that you find like rewarding or brings you joy can also be stimulating. Um, Movement's a big thing. Um, So like finding movement that you actually enjoy, like don't go force yourself. Like I don't like CrossFit, so I'm not going to ever go to a CrossFit class, but I love going for a walk. Listening to music is another great source of stimulation or like an audio book or a podcast, something like that. Um, so my clients will do like knitting, especially like things that you can do. A lot of times, like the evening time tends to be the most challenging for my clients where they're like, I watch TV, which is usually not stimulating enough for ADHD brains. And they're like, so I need Mm -hmm. something else to do. And food is something that's pretty low effort to do while you're watching TV. So finding other things that you can kind of replace that with, if you're genuinely like not hungry, obviously if you're hungry, go eat some food, but if you're like, Hey, I'm not hungry. I'm just wanting this. Um, like I have some clients who they're talking about it last night and they're like, I have, they're called jewelry. So a couple of my clients have like chewable, like jewelry sort of things where it's just like interesting needing almost that, like needing an oral stimulus basically. And they're like, I know it's not food like I've had enough food and I'm like I really know I'm not hungry and it's just wanting to chew on something and I'm that kind of like gives me the stimulation that I'm looking for um so some that's of those cool I've never heard of that what yeah. are my, my mind is like does it crunch does it actually make texture noises <laughs> they're like, like what is silicone there are like silicone type like they are usually like in little shapes and just on like a string that you can wear like on your hmm. neck um they use them a lot of times they used to be used more with like kids with autism um and now there's there's just more ADHDers too connecting with like hey that actually helps me too and like there's nothing wrong with it one of my clients was like yeah I have a pacifier and she was like and I don't care if it's weird just like it helps me when I just need to like do my work to have something to kind of like chew on that's not gum because I've chewed so much gum when I was younger that like mm-hmm. I can't chew gum anymore um, yeah so, gum so. is a huge like go-to but it does get old it can irritate your stomach too if you're having too much of it um yeah. lots of stuff but no that's really a good idea and I sometimes with my clients I always try to recommend like maybe there's something that occupies both your your vision 
your mind with the TV show sound and then something to do with your hands. But those yeah. oral suggestions are good. Cause like I relate to that. And a lot of, I've heard people say too, of, I just want to do something with my mouth. It sounds weird, but like, that is the case. And I remember that feeling so well. And sometimes I still yeah. have it, but then I'm just like, yeah, drink some water or whatever. I don't know, but it doesn't yeah. seem as bad for me anymore than I've gotten out of that habit, but I can see people yeah. in the beginning or something or just long-term helps them for sure. Yeah. yeah. And yeah, I think it's just finding things that you can add that you like. Like I keep fidgets around on my like coffee table. So if I'm watching TV and I just need something to do, because mm-hmm. if I'm like just getting up and going and like wandering around in the pantry and I'm like, you're not really like, there isn't anything that comes to mind that you're hungry for. <laughs> you're just looking mm-hmm. for something to eat. Um, especially if it's like, I just ate dinner. I'm not, I know I'm, <laughs> I know I'm not hungry. Mm-hmm. Um, so like having those things just to occupy me a little bit. Um, puzzles are another really good one too. Um, I think it's yeah. just. One of my best friends since kindergarten, she has fidget tools at her house. Like ever, yeah. she's she was diagnosed with um ADD from a really young age. So she, as yeah. we were growing up, she was always like collecting cool fidget tools. <laughs> and yeah. so I love going to her house because like, what is this? And they're like little puzzles you can mess with. Um, yeah. But yeah, they're cool for sure. Yeah. Um. When it comes to your own story, like what brought you to this line of work of working people with people with ADHD and binge eating? So I first kind of started off like I knew I wanted to do like intuitive eating work. I just didn't really know who I wanted to work with. And I was thinking about my own story with my relationship with food and actually working with a really good friend and realizing like, like for her, it was, you know, the not eating all day because her stimulant meds suppressed her appetite and then binging at night and just being really stuck in this cycle. And I was like, and I was like, that was me in grad school. (laughs) And I was like, there's, and then I started doing research about it. And I was like, there's this whole connection between like eating disorders and ADHD that nobody at the time was talking about on social media or anything when it was just a lot of times like in big papers about ADHD, it'll be like, you might struggle with risky driving and, you know, potential substance use and all these other things. And then, and eating disorders. And I'm like, this is a big thing to just kind of like a gloss over. It felt yeah. like, um, <clears throat> because, like, yes, risky driving and those sorts of things are not good, but like eating is huge to how our brains and our bodies function to begin with. So like, I was like, is that something we should be talking more about and not just mm-hmm. like most of the stuff when I first started talking about ADHD and eating was just like how to feed a kid who's on a stimulant medication or like the eat this, not that for ADHD kind of stuff. And I was like, there's so much more here that it's just not getting talked about. Mm-hmm. Um, and I was like, I, and I it was the beginning of the pandemic and I had a lot of free time. So of I used yeah. my lovely ability to hyper-focus as an ADHD or to like really learn as much as I could about more about ADHD versus past just my own story and other people's. Um, right. Well, like- it's funny because so many uh, women, but also men and, and other people in general, but I talked to a lot of people who get diagnosed with ADHD later on in life and and they're just like, this makes so much sense. Why didn't I not know this? But they feel stupid or they yeah. haven't gotten diagnosed, but they're like, what's wrong with me? And it's not that everyone has ADHD, but 
there's definitely a significant link and a lot more people I think struggle with it than they realize but they think because they're not functioning like the traditional advice then they just they keep trying to follow that and it's like maybe there's something else going on here so the work you're doing is amazing for that thanks yeah I think I think that's one of the most important things even if you don't have ADHD like a lot of traditional nutrition advice sometimes it's just like is great on paper but sometimes it's not always practical and so I think being realistic and like it might be trying different strategies or things that might not fit into the norm or like you know a lot of the stuff you see on social media like it's always funny to me and I'm like it's okay to buy pre-cut vegetables or like take short what I call convenience foods I just like to call shortcuts and I'm Mm -hmm. like it's okay to use those things and like sometimes people just are like just giving them the permission to do that because they see, you know, everything else in social media. That's like, you have to prep everything from scratch and do this and do that. And like my my clients and my followers are like, I'm not going to, like, I can't do that. And like, I know for me, I tried meal prepping and during my internship, I was like, why can't I do this? I was like, I like cooking. And like, I don't understand Mm -hmm. why I can't wrap my head around spending my whole Sunday. Like, you know, or several hours of my Sunday prepping my food for the week. And then I realized I was like, it's because I don't like eating the same thing intentionally <laughs> for lunch mm, every single, single day. day of the way the week. Yep. And then I get don't like leftovers after a certain point. So I was like, oh, it it makes a lot of sense that this just doesn't work for me. But it doesn't mean I can't like plan things out. I just don't meal prep and I still have, you know. Mm-hmm. It still works. <laughs> yeah. I remember a post you did a long time ago, not a long time ago, but before I contacted you and you were like, um, favorite, easy or shortcut protein options. There was like the edamame yeah. that I think you had tuna or something like that. Like things that were yeah. just conveniently readily available to eat. And I do a lot of that too. It's just my, the food that I do prep is very easy to prep. It's like yeah. some salad pre-cut and then you throw yeah. things on top of it. And yeah. I was talking to someone else the other day who was upset about meal prep. I'm like, you, it doesn't have to be like and unless you like to eat different things every day then it's you would want to find shortcut meals and stuff like that but if you do want a meal prep then you could just literally cook more of what you already cook and then put it in two pots like that's just it you don't have to bake them all prepped you could just have ready to go anything to make it convenient easier I think a lot of Instagram makes us feel like if we want to be a guru or something we have to be on a mountaintop with a goat meal prep every day (laughs) that's that's not really the case yes (laughs) I completely agree (laughs) Yeah. With them, something you said about intuitive eating um, struck my interest. When it comes to, you said like you'd have to plan out some of your meals or something like that, but that's not very intuitive. Do you feel like that's a real struggle for people? Like how do you define intuitive eating? Yeah, I think I like to think of intuitive eating as like a framework um, because there's just little things that like might be adaptations that aren't like the traditional intuitive eating, again, like maybe setting alarms to remind you to eat if you don't mm-hmm. have hunger cues, those sorts of things. Cause it's like, yeah, eat when you're hungry doesn't always connect or ring true for my clients. So like, if I just ate when I was hungry, I'm not going to eat till six o'clock <laughs> at night and then binge yeah. eating. So <clears throat> obviously you know, that's not an ideal eating pattern. Um, but I like to think of it as just a way of eating that or figuring out a way of eating that kind of helps you feel your best without having to be on some sort of super restrictive diet or constantly like counting or tracking 
or doing any of that kind of stuff that like usually doesn't help our relationship with food. Yeah, that's a really good answer. I uh, When I think of intuitive eating, I also try to think of your brain as part of your intuition. So I think when people yeah. think it's intuitive, it's like eat when you're hungry. And even the book says, let's yeah. not all of it, right? But yeah. your part of your intuition is using your best judgment and logical mind to plan ahead yeah. and see what's best for you. And so intuitive yeah. can't eating, if you literally cannot notice that you're hungry till later in the evening and then you're binging, then you do have to use your intuition to be like, what what's, works best for me? Setting alarms, planning out my meals, yeah. having it ready or something yeah. like that. Yeah, I completely agree. The other thing yeah. also, um, oh, go ahead. I was gonna say, I think the logic piece is what gets missed for a lot of people. Cause like, even if, especially if they haven't read intuitive eating and they're hearing about it, they're like, well, if I just listen to my body, then I'm yeah. just going to eat cake and cookies and pizza and la 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 24 seven. And I'm like, no, like, the point is, is in intuitive eating is yes, you can have, you could eat that way if you want to. And it's totally fine if you do, but it's probably not going to make you feel great to eat that way 24 seven. And usually no. people are like, you're right. <laughs> I would feel pretty yucky if all I ate was pizza or all I ate was cookies all the time, you know? Mm -hmm. Yeah, no, you, the other day, I think it was a few weeks ago, I had leftover pizza. And so I had it for breakfast. And then I also had it for lunch. I was like, wow, I feel like crap. This is awful. <laughs> I'm not going to do this again for a while. Um, Because I was like, oh, it's, I could just whatever it's convenient. I was, it was a busy day. But yeah, yeah. when you do that, you do not feel very good, usually. Um, yes. <laughs> so yeah, the other thing I wanted to ask you about is when it comes to people that are on stimulant medication, um, cause I, <clears throat> I have a client with like that right now that it suppresses our appetite. That, that is what it does. What would you just say? Like eat, even though you're not hungry is the best advice for that. Just plan it. Yeah. I usually will tie it back to practical hunger. And mm -hmm. you talk about that with your clients of like, Hey, eating when you're not hungry, but you know, knowing that like, if you go too long without eating, you're likely to overeat or binge later. Um, and just like how it's going to help your brain function. Like the medication might make you feel like you don't need to eat, but eating is also going to give your body the fuel that it needs to do the things that you do. So you're not just like kind of running on fumes or like this, like the stimulant kind of powering you through the day. Mm -hmm. Um, sometimes it's just exploring different eating patterns for some of my clients, like I might, um, have them like anchor their like breakfast and dinner. So they're larger meals. Um, and then maybe have like small frequent snacks throughout the day, or like kind of what I was talking about with pairing breakfast and lunch with their med, like AM and PM meds, if they take them then like kind of pairing those things together and really viewing it, trying to work on your mindset too, of like, Hey, this is going to help me function better throughout the day if I'm nourished and like this is something that is good for me to be doing um, and a lot of my clients will find like hey I, I actually do notice that even though my meds suppress my appetite eating something you know more regularly throughout the day actually helps me do the things I need to get done in the day yeah um, I would imagine it makes you feel more stable um when I it's not the same thing because those stimulants affect you affect you differently but I want to drink a bunch of caffeine with no food it's like you're oh. just wired in a whole different way it's like you're so yeah. hyper you can't really think clearly yeah. and then you feel exhausted at the same time it's just not yeah. very helpful yeah and that's where it's like it can kind of feel like that if you're on a stimulant where it's like yeah I can go do all the things I want to do or I have like all this energy but I don't also feel great at the same time because mm -hmm. you know 
we still need to eat. Um, and a lot of my clients will find too, if they eat before or with their medication in the morning, I don't know the science behind this, but a lot of people have shared with me that like eating with their meds. And I found this true for myself, um, makes it easier if you eat in the morning to eat throughout the day, even though like your meds suppress your appetite. I don't know why. Um, interesting seems to help versus just like getting up and like, you know, taking your medication or having that in a cup of coffee and then your appetite's just going to be zapped until for a while. So. Right. <clears throat> I find that, um, so I work with people that binge, but they also struggle with purging and restriction. And sometimes when they push back their meals, they continually do that. It's kind of builds this, I don't know, when is it going to happen vibe about the food? And I find when they do just eat first thing in the morning, it cuts the fear of it. Like, oh, we're, we're, we've already eaten. It's already happened. It's fine. And then it's kind of like, oh, if I did this, I can do it again. So I feel like the mental piece yeah. is there. But then also I would agree that there's probably some physiological aspect of it. Like you've already kind of re, re- energize your digestive system. It's working, it's functioning. And then you are yeah. prepping it for later as well. Kind of like yeah. an appetizer. Yeah. Oh, like. Yeah. Like Mm -hmm. thinking about it that way. And then it's just too, like for some of my clients, it's having really accessible foods or things that might, um, like things that they can literally grab and open and eat. So that way it doesn't feel like a burden to nourish themselves. So it might be relying on some more convenient style foods. Mm -hmm. So that way it just means that they'll eat because it'll be like, Hey, I'm working on this thing and I don't want to stop doing it. Or I'm going to lose my, like, my hyper focus Mm -hmm. is I get up and go get something. So it's like, okay, if I don't have to go, you know, grab a bunch of things and put it all on a plate and make it look a certain way. If I can just grab, you know, grab a yogurt and a piece of fruit and come back to my desk and continue working, there's a much better chance that you're actually going to eat versus like, we'll get to it later. Mm -hmm. Um, Fine. Because it sometimes too can just feel, for a lot of my clients feel unproductive or, um, like just an inconvenience to to stop and eat. So. Yeah, the unproductive and inconvenience thing, and it really is about firstly just having it readily available, so it isn't so much of an inconvenience and it's easy. Yeah. But then also seeing as like, no, this will this will really help you though later on, yes. and it won't keep yes. creating the same issues over and over again. Yeah. Um. Oh, there was some other question I was going to ask you, but now my brain is uh going away. But another question I had was, what's terrible advice for people with ADHD and binge eating? I would say a big one, like cutting out sugar. I hear that a lot. It's like, I'm sure, I mean, even for people who don't have ADHD, it's like, don't have sugar and you'll just stop binge eating. And it's like, you might for a period of time until that pendulum swings back the other way. Mm. But sugar gets demonized a lot with ADHD. Um, And so there will people be like, I'm just going to cut it out. I'm like, that's not going to, not going to work for your brain long-term. And there's um, a famous ADHD psychologist. And he was talking about it. Like if your brain's looking for stimulation, like eating a salad is not going to do it. Like if you're looking for like chocolate or something sweet for stimulation, then Mm -hmm. eating, you know, going and eating vegetables is probably not going to do that. And I was like, rarely do I hear a doctor (laughs) going to take some anti-diet mentality with food because it was like, that is nice to hear that. Like sometimes you do have to give your brain that what it 
wants so yeah I I grapple I just talked to someone recently uh, recently about food addiction and I think that it can apply to people especially like some people who have a history of extreme addiction sometimes that can be too much for them but I don't I like to say I don't think it applies to the majority of people that's my hypothesis about it it's like it can be a thing maybe some people really cannot handle sugar but I don't think it applies to the majority of people so but let's try having it in your life first and see how it goes (laughs) and if it's absolutely the problem once we've exhausted everything else then maybe we try it you know yeah and I find for a lot of my clients it is the restriction piece that is also fueling that or like they've never they had parents who dieted or restricted their sugar because they had ADHD as a kid and so they were never taught how to have a normal relationship with sweets and Mm -hmm. so I think when you a lot of times once that restriction is removed and you can work on that relationship with it it does kind of remove some of that like specialness from from those foods where it's like oh yeah like this is not this big of a thing or you know it's not just like I know for me like it was that thing I was like it's oh there's there's cookies in the pantry or there's ice cream in the freezer and it was just kind of like that constant voice in my head Mm -hmm. knowing it was there but then once I stopped restricting those foods I know they're there but there isn't that like intention intense urge to like go eat all of it now because I know I can have it again so yeah I think I would agree with you on that hypothesis (laughs) Hypothesis. yeah I like to compare restrictions to the COVID-19 toilet paper epidemic you know like it's like it was the weirdest thing watching people hoard toilet paper it's hilarious though there's a perfect example of scarcity and what happens when you think things are scarce people are just like I need like four massive containers of toilet paper just <laughs> yeah. ridiculous so like and that doesn't even have anything to do with your physiology so if you can hoard things like toilet paper then you can certainly obsess about sugar if you kind of don't allow yourself to have ever have it yeah mm-hmm. uh and oh we're already like closer to time okay I wanted to ask you a few more questions yeah. one um so if people are relating to this, like they're like, oh my God, this sounds exactly like me. I know that sometimes people can think that they're struggling with ADHD, but then they maybe bring it up to their friends or something like that. And they're like, that's, you don't struggle with that. That's not what you are. And maybe they'll say things like, oh, well, you're super functional. It can't be you. Um, yeah. What would you say to people that are going through that, that they're kind of doubting whether or not it's the case for them? I think some people, especially um, if, you um are a female you could be really good at masking your symptoms so you can like present as though you learn how to hide what you struggle with and so it can to your friends or to other people like you don't struggle with all of those (laughs) things like what Mm -hmm. are you talking about no I have to try really hard to you know to be on time to you know, do all of, to keep my apartment clean, to do the tasks I have at work. Like it's a lot harder and I have to work 10 times harder to do the things that look that, you know, to be successful. Mm -hmm. Um, I think if you can, you know, talk to an actual provider who understands ADHD, I would say that's a really big thing, especially with adults. Cause it's still, there's still some doctors and people out there that are not very up to date. Um, no it's just little boys that have that and it's like no it's not (laughs) Mm -hmm. um 
I think working or talking to someone about it to be evaluated because there are a lot of other um, mental health things that can be very similar to ADHD. So it can be helpful to kind of be able to tease some of that out um, to figure out, is it actually ADHD or maybe it's something else that's going on? Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, I think, I think I have a lot of clients who feel that way where people will dismiss it because they're quote unquote high functioning, um, yeah. or they're really successful. A lot of my clients are very successful at work, but like self-care things are really hard, um, or keeping their house clean or, you know, those sorts of things are not like where they excel at. Um, mm-hmm. or that they enjoy doing. So it's like, oh yeah, I might be like, I've had clients who are like, I don't get diagnosed with ADHD till I finish law school. And they're like, I can go to law school, but I can't put my laundry away. <laughs> yep. Absolutely. Kind of um, where it's like, okay, like how could I do that super hard thing for years? But like some of the tasks that we label as like, you know, easy, um, aren't easy for a lot of ADHDers. So I think talking to someone is really, really helpful. There's also like, um, I can send you the link for it and you can put, if you want to put it in the show notes, but there's some online screeners that you can take. They're not to diagnose you, but to at least, you know, reference, reference and see, um, and also add, send a link to, for like how to talk to your doctor about ADHD. That might be helpful too. Um, if you think you have ADHD, somebody don't think you're like, I'm just seeking medication sometimes yeah that's a huge stigma right people think they they dismiss it or think you're seeking medication and there's a huge movement on social media right now I think with more ADHD awareness I don't know again I don't know if that's just because like I'm more interested in it so social media is like look here's more topics but it seems like more people are talking about it (laughs) from my perspective I think since like um I think what is it Gen Z or whatever I think their openness during the pandemic about mental health, just in general, I think mental health has gotten a lot more attention Mm -hmm. um, than it was in the past, or people were much more open about talking about it and just trying to like take the stigma out of it. And that like, it's normal to struggle with things. And um, I think it's nice that there is a lot more resources out there because even two years ago, there really wasn't as much people or resources. And a lot of the stuff was just geared towards kids. Mm-hmm. And especially for women, we usually don't get diagnosed till later in life. Um, and so there's, um, we have to figure out other strategies that aren't, you know, geared towards kids and, and you know, a brain that's still developing. So yeah. I remember thinking as a kid, like, it's just a boy thing, ADHD. Yeah. It's, not, it's not something that applies to females and boy, was I wrong. So yeah, <laughs> yeah. I know for yeah. me, I was like, I, there's so many moments in my like early, I didn't get diagnosed till 19, but like my high school and middle school years. I'm like, these were, there were so many like very clear moments. I was like, oh, that's ADHD. <laughs> and I was like, I don't think I can have that. And then it wasn't until I, my freshman year roommate who's my best friend now she has ADHD and we were like two peas in a pod so by my second my sophomore year I was talking to my therapist and I was like I really struggle with all of these things and I really think I have ADHD because and then once I got that diagnosis it was like everything just started to make make sense and I was like okay (laughs) now I have like framework I can actually work 
it can actually work through things and figure out what works for me. So yeah, it provides clarity, right? And then you're getting the right advice that maybe works for neurotypicals, but doesn't work for you. Although I think a lot of advice for ADHD can be very helpful for neurotypicals too, honestly. Yeah. So yeah. um yeah, but no, I, I have again, I, I'm not formally diagnosed. I don't know if I have it. I'm just to have my suspicions, but there's a lot of moments from my childhood now that I'm looking back and I'm like, hmm. And my best friends in childhood. ADD and we got along great. So I just <laughs> <Yeah>. wonder, <laughs> there's interesting things. Yeah, anyway, exactly. um, but thank you for being on the show. Where can people find you if they want to find out more? Yeah, I'm on Instagram at ADHD.nutritionist is the best place okay. to find. Yeah. And I have to say um, for people listening, her Instagram is great. She gives us a lot of reels, very informative and you have a really kind demeanor too. It seems like just very friendly and yeah. yeah so I'd highly recommend to go check out her Instagram. Thanks. Yeah. I, I love, I don't know. I love making stuff and I love, usually it's like making little light bulbs or connecting things for people where they're like, Oh, that's why I struggle with it. Because a lot of times it is just if you do have ADHD we usually don't think about in the context of food um and so Mm -hmm. it's like it it really does impact every aspect of your life and so I think it's you know if you do struggle with food and have ADHD like you're definitely not alone and it is very common and normal and I know for me when I was struggling with binge eating I'm sure you can probably relate it's like I'm the only person in the world that's struggling with this even though my logical brain knew that that was not the case and so it's nice to be able to like even just help others realize like oh I'm not the only person that you know struggles with binge eating and has ADHD or like all these other little things they may struggle with yeah even if you're just putting out information of hey I did this too that's really helpful for people but you're doing a lot more than that too you're connecting dots (laughs) yeah all right well yeah thank you so much becca for being on the show it was really informative and everything so um yeah thank you (laughs) i'll stop recording here thanks everyone for listening